You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dada. Um, I was going to do that same joke again, but I'll pass on that. We're going to be talking a little bit about the draft. I figure if I'm going to tell dad jokes, I probably shouldn't do it twice. That's a little bit too dadish right there. That's That's taking it too far. So the plan of the day is to first of all clarify what uh, Jim had said he called back and was like look this is what I meant so my bad we'll, we'll clarify that I want to look at um, some of the prospects the Packers have been looking at and talking to I want to start with the private workouts but I'm having trouble finding them maybe there just haven't been many I've got about uh, two maybe we'll work back a little bit and look at some of the other people that they have you know kind of based on Considering the things that we've learned over the last week or so or talked about, maybe look back over some of the past guys. And we'll see where that leaves us. I've got some other stuff waiting in the wings, but I kind of want to leave that for full episodes and also have time to research it and not do it on the fly. So first of all, thank you uh, to those of you who have been doing the iTunes reviews. I see we're kind of off and running again. Really do appreciate that again. If you do have a minute, please, if you could, leave a five-star rating and review. If you leave um, some kind of evidence, leave me a message somewhere, uh, I will add your name to my running list. As of right now, only one person has been added to that list, so he is a shoe-in. But if, if and when we get to 200 reviews, I'm going to be doing a uh, PFF giveaway. Also, as I said, if we can get to 150 reviews prior to the draft, I'm planning on doing a live stream. I can't 100% promise that. Things happen in life. This isn't my full-time job. If something comes up, I've, I've worked very, very hard. Last year, my daughter's graduation was on draft day. And, of course, I'm not even allowed to complain about that. I mean, I did several months before when I found out, but I can't be grumpy on her graduation day because that's not great. Although, also not a great dad, live-streaming it on my phone on the seat next to me. But, you know, I mean, i got to do something. But again, life happens, but the plan will be to do a live stream if we get to 150 ratings and reviews. For reference, we are 42 away. I, I, we can hit that today, just so we're all clear on that. That is a small fraction of a percentage of the people that listen to this podcast. 42 of you guys leave a rating and review today. By tomorrow, I will have it locked in, and we will be doing a live stream. So think about it. Think about doing that. I'm not sure logistically how to go about doing it. I need to look at a few options. Um, I want to see. I know I can simultaneously live stream to several areas, but I think that's going to cost a little bit of money, but, you know, whatever. I also think it would be cool to have, like, a call-in number 
that might be a third option. I don't know if I can integrate those two things together, but if I can, again, probably also going to cost money, but again, not a huge deal. I've got a little bit of a slush fund, thanks again to the folks over at Patreon, which I want to, again, say thank you to them, but also, um, I did them a little bit of a something. I don't know how much interest there would be in it, but uh, since I had some free time yesterday, I was trying to think what I could do for the Patreon folks, and I decided I was going to do top 10 lists for all the positions. I'm going to do my best to get through it, and I tried to think how to do the criteria, and I decided I wasn't going to scout anybody. My first plan was I'm going to do stats, and then I'm going to scout, and then what I did is I did stats, and then I did uh, strength of schedule because I wanted to incorporate that a little bit, although I weighted each of these categories, and strength of schedule is weighted the, weighted the least, but I wanted it at least put in there. And then as I started, uh, so I did strength of schedule, I did pass rush percentage, I did run stop percentage. Again, these are weighted differently, obviously. pass ru- oh, This is edge rusher, by the way. I did my top 10 list for edge rushers. I did pass rush percentage, run stop percentage. I weighted pass rush the heaviest, then run, stru- run stop, and then strength of schedule was a lot lower. And then I was going to do my own scouting. And the more I did it, it was like, man, I just, I don't have, I mean, I have opinions, but it's so hard to quantify, like, okay, in, in my little scale that I'm making up, what's a 10 look like? What does a 9 look like? I got to work on that. So maybe next year I'll have a little something a little more solidified. But what I decided to do is just say, you know what? PFF has got this figured out. They have a rating and review system. Let me just use their numbers. So I used their grades, again, for pass rush grade, run stop grade. I didn't do coverage grade because I didn't really want to put that in just because I don't know. So, again, I weighted pass rush heavier than run stop. So, pass rush is kind of, uh, you know, doubly heavy because whatever. But it's it's eye test grades, production, and the school you went to all brought in together the best way I can. And um, so, it it spat out a grade um, out of 65, I believe. And I got to be honest... There's one really big surprise that I'm not super happy about and makes me want to tweak it, which I will be tweaking it and I will be adding to the list. And if I can get through all the positions and have time, maybe I'll make it a top 15, top 20, whatever list. But as I look at it, I don't know what to tweak. So I'm not going to go through the specifics because that's for the Patreon folks only. But here's the the outcome of that. Number one, Josh Allen. Number two, Nick Bosa. Number three, Montez Sweat then Chase Winovich, then Cleland Furl, then Jalen Ferguson, then Zach Allen, then O'Shane Zimenez, then Brian Burns. Yeah, I know. I, I, If I could, I would tweak this thing until Brian Burns was number one. I just don't know how. So the crazy thing is, the one thing that makes you think, well, maybe this is wrong, the PFF grade. That, that would be the one thing most people would object to because production and where you went to school are definitive things. PFF is something. That's the one thing that says Brian Burns is awesome is his PFF grade. I guess I shouldn't say that. His run-stop grade is really low. But it's not the lowest. There are people lower than him above him. His run-stop percentage, the actual numbers, the, the, you know, the data, extremely low. Pass rush percentage is kind of high, but it's not that crazy. There's actually one guy that has a lower pass rush percentage than him, and that's Zach Allen, who's higher than him because he's, you know, went to a better school, went to, uh, has better run stop ability, and also has an extremely high pass rush grade. So I don't know exactly how to tweak this to, 
shoot Brian Burns up. I mean, as far as his strength of schedule, there's only two teams that had a uh, easier strength of schedule, and that's O'Shane Zimenez at Old Dominion and Jalen Ferguson. Why do I keep wanting to say Ferguson? Ferguson at Louisiana Tech, both of whom are higher than Brian Burns. So, you know, you, you, you can, you know, give me input if you want, critique the criteria, but the bottom line is, either way, even if you think the list is dumb, these things are here as a resource. Again, strength of schedule, it's there. This is a real thing. You can use this as a resource. His pass rush percentage, which again is his um, sacks, hits, and hurries divided by the total number of pass rush attempts. That number is here. So again, for Brian Burns, 16.5. Extremely high number, but compared to the rest of these guys, not very much. And I also attributed a grade to it, which again, you can critique the grades, you can critique the criteria, the, the multiplication factor, whatever, but these numbers are here. The run stop percentage, that's a real number. That's the amount of stops per run stop attempt. Now, that one's maybe the trickiest because if you look at Nick Bosa, for example, not that he was necessarily low, but the one thing I noticed when I was watching this guy compared to somebody like Josh Allen, for example, nobody runs at Nick Bosa, and this is a per-snap attempt. So if you snap the ball 10 times and run away from Nick Bosa 10 times, how many times is he going to make a stop? Probably zero. If you snap it 10 times and run 10 times at Brian Burns because you don't think he's very good and he makes three stops out of 10, well, the numbers are going to be higher for Brian Burns than they are for Nick Bosa, even though maybe five of those he didn't do very well. But, you know, again, stats aren't perfect, and it kind of averages out. Every single stat on the planet has um, issues, things that are not as great as you would maybe want or hope. And then I have the pass rush grade and run stop grade, which technically isn't the actual PFF grade, but I mean, maybe if you're a math wizard genius, which is me being sarcastic, you can probably figure out what the grade is. In other words, I kind of just did the math in my head, and it's not, it shouldn't even be really considered math. <laughs> Whatever. But bottom line is, it's a good resource. So, what I'm pitching to you is if you'd like access to this, the Patreon link is in the description. I'd like to go through all this, and um, I'll probably use it as a reference during the draft and after the draft because it is a good little quick reference chart. Um, so if you'd like to, it's as little as a dollar a month. I didn't set it at a certain tier. You have to do five or ten. It's just just get in, and you can access all this stuff. So buck a month, and uh, you can have access to this. And again, I'm hoping to have uh, all ten. I will. I'll have all 10 because I'm not doing any scouting, so that'll save me a lot of time. It's just grinding in Excel with numbers, and I can do that all day every day because I love it. And I'm super excited, even for quarterback, to get this list out, to have my own top 10 list, even if the list is silly. It's also good because I can see how it holds up and then kind of tweak it as it goes on. Like, okay, I really missed Brian Burns. Obviously, he's not the 10th out of 10. How do I tweak this? Or maybe Brian Burns is kind of trash. He falls in the draft, and everybody's going, but why is he falling? And I'm sitting here with my list like, I think I know. But more than likely, he's going to get drafted early. He's going to be really good, and i got to tweak this. Just saying. But hey, Patreon.com. For those of you that are already in it, thank you so much. Also, be sure to get into the Facebook group. Uh, I posted the hour-long uh, seven-round mock draft video that I did with Jeff. Probably going to be tough to sit and watch for an hour in Facebook, but I will be getting that up on uh, as a bonus podcast. It's easier to get the video up because it's just, you know, drag and drop. But I want to actually edit the audio a little bit, take out some of the some of the, 
the blank spaces, some of the ums and ahs, and then release that as a podcast. So be on the lookout for that. Otherwise, get in the Facebook group. You can get a little preview. Last but certainly not least, if you would like to call in or text in with a question or something that you want to get off your chest, that phone number is 608-501-0718. Just hitting those high notes. Like Beyonce. Does she do high notes? I don't even know. I just know people say, I know the kids say that sometimes. Better not even doubt me. I am Beyonce always. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so for the sake of clarity, I talked yesterday about a certain topic, and I used Jim's question as sort of additional fodder. But it turns out Jim was being literal when he said he wanted them to go big. He just meant large in size. So um, I say that for the sake of clarification just because I, uh, well, I want to be clear, but I've kind of touched on that already um, quite a bit. But he, he did bring up some pretty good points, you know, went big with tight ends. Uh, we went big with Preston. We went big with Zadarius. We've gone big, right? My running joke about all our running backs have to be 225 pounds. Gutekunst has been going big in that direction. Obviously, I don't need to point out our wide receivers to you who are not only fast, but large, at least tall. I don't, I don't know. Not the largest, but they're tall. It's not, you know, 100%. Jair is smaller than average. Oren Burks is a pretty small dude. But there definitely does seem to be something there. So it's something to keep an eye on. We, we know slot receiver, there's a good chance that they are looking for bigger. But again, I don't think anything is ever set in stone, right? And I, I, I'm not implying Jim says this. I, I think actually in his message, he clarified that it doesn't have to be this way. I think you kind of lean towards something, but it's not like you're taking Andy Isabella off the board, right? It's just, we would prefer to get a big guy so you get a little bit of a bump on our board if you're big. But Andy Isabella could still be above, you know, A.J. Brown for all we know. Maybe it's just a matter of if we weren't looking for bigger, Andy Isabella would be our top slot option, you know, early second or something. But, you know, Nikhil Harry kind of gets a bump because he's a gigantic human being. So we're going to, you know, we like him at early or second. It makes sense, right? I don't need to explain this anymore. You already know these things. You guys are so smart. You're welcome. All right. Next on the agenda. Me no get an agenda. Sorry, it popped into my head and I just had to do it. I don't usually get to do office clips. And if I have the opportunity to do two office clips in a row, which I think I've done before, I got to do it. But now we got to stay focused. Next on the agenda, we're going to be looking at some of the guys that the Packers have met with and kind of do what we've been doing. Again, we've been talking about 12. We've been talking about the same guys over and over again. We want to just slowly expand out, kind of sticking with the same formula, though. So the first guy I would like to talk about is Mr. Tim Harris out of Virginia. Supposedly the Packers had met with him. I tried to get a little bit of information about his pro day workout, specifically, you know, measurements and whatnot. I could not find a huge amount. So Pro Football Focus has him listed at six foot one, two hundred and five pounds. Not a small guy. Um, I was I was particularly curious about arm length and all that kind of stuff, but I, I don't see any of that. Um, according to what Tony Pauline had said on his website. Actually, they do have 6 feet, 1.5 inches tall, 197 pounds. But the cool thing is, 
He ran a 40-yard dash. Now, it's not laser time, so you get varying results depending on who you ask, but somewhere from the high 4.3s to low 4.4 range. So this dude can blaze, man. Apparently, he also did very well in the East-West Shrine game. The biggest problem with Tim Harris, big injury history. 2016, he had a shoulder injury. 2017, he had a wrist injury. Entering 2018, he had a back injury. So I think like a lot of the combine people, a lot of the pro day stuff, a lot of his, these meetings and things have a lot to do with medicals. Again, according to Pauline, if the medicals are okay, he could be a day three selection. Now, if you go over to NFLBigBoard.com, he's in the 300s. And by the way, Tony Pauline's rankings are aggregated within that. So he's one of the people that ranks him. I'll have to go check where he puts him. I don't have that at my house. But in other words... Very good chance he goes undrafted. But still, it's one of those things where the Packers, as I said yesterday, a lot of these meetings are just a matter of where do we put you on the board. It's not so much that we're quote-unquote targeting you, which is kind of a fake word or a fake concept, but we need to figure out where we're going to put you. Because, I mean, he's got high upside. He's got a lot of risk. Are you day three? Are you, you know, undrafted? Where are we going to put you? And then, you know, day three, there's several rounds. Where are we putting you within that? He also had a 39-inch vert, which is really good for a cornerback, as well as a 11-foot, 11-foot um, 7-inch broad jump, which is pretty incredible. So he's got speed, he's got explosion, he's got good size. I mean, he's he's got everything you could want. Beyond that, if we switch over to Pro Football Focus and look at the, if I can find it, look at his grades, for example. One of the things that definitely stands out, and it, you know. Again, we're talking about an undrafted guy. He's not going to be all that great. But overall grade, 88 or 83.8, not the worst ever. But the first thing that stands out, if you look at his, his grades, for example, his overall grades, 60, 55.8, 66.5, 83 .8. If we look at his coverage grade, 60.5, 58, 64, 87.1. So his coverage grade was almost elite, and it came out of nowhere. Now, again, in my mind, that's kind of high risk. Why did it all of a sudden come out of nowhere? But here's what it reminds me of. Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Adrian Amos, Billy Turner. And again, when he was interviewed in that whatever it was podcast, he said that that in his mind was a big um, a big benefit, right? This is somebody who's, who's really turned a corner. We're getting them right as they're about to break out. Now, maybe that's a little bit different when you're talking about free agents and draft prospects, you know, because everybody's young. But still, there's, there's, here's a guy who's just starting to blossom, just starting to turn a corner, showing that he can do all this stuff. And by the way, all this done with a back injury. In terms of his specific uh, stats, 30 tackles, only two missed tackles, which isn't terrible. 12 stops, which is pretty solid for a cornerback. Uh, th uh, 19 receptions on 39 targets is a 48.7 catch percentage. Only 207 total yards. One touchdown, two interceptions, two pass deflections, 52.0 passer rating when targeted. That's pretty solid, man. When, when you've got double the interceptions and double the pass deflections as you have touchdowns, that's pretty good. So there's no question he had a very good year. There's no question he has physical tools that you would love. There's no question he has the size. He's got everything. But you got to wonder, you know, I, I, there's, there's a lot of question marks. Uh, looking at the advanced stats, his best attribute was his tackling efficiency, which is pretty solid. It would be a good attribute to have uh, a guy that's a sure tackler. Um, also, yards per coverage snap, he was 48th in the nation, which is pretty solid, again, for a guy that could go undrafted to be top 50. Um, his worst metric, yards per coverage snap in the slot. Probably not going to be a big slot guy, which makes sense. He's six foot one, 200-ish pounds. 
So could be an interesting flyer. If he ends up going undrafted and the Packers get him, remember the name Tim Harris. i got to try to remember to put Tim Harris's name in the notes here because, I, again, I want to be able to reference some of this stuff. Got to do a better job of that. Beyond that, as of this point in time, as far as we know, the Packers have, of their top 30 visits, three guys either that are done or are scheduled. Two of them, I believe, are done, A.J. Brown and Montez Sweat, the Packers have met with. Those two were done at their pro days. They had their meetings. The other one that is scheduled is Jay Sternberger. Now, Jay Sternberger is kind of interesting because they met with him at the Combine, and they're going to have him have him uh, do a private workout with the Green Bay Packers. So they're doing a lot of work, and they really want to see this guy work. So this is somebody that you kind of feel like they're really interested in, right? I mean, they already had their meeting. They just they need to see more. And when you invest those kinds of resources, right, you meet with them twice now, as well as one of your top 30 visits, that's kind of cool. The other thing that's, that's interesting, and I referenced this beforehand, um, or, you know, last year, Ted Thompson historically liked to do, especially with his visits, a lot of later round guys. He wanted to make sure, right, because the early round guys are a little easier to, to figure out. You kind of know what you like and what you don't like and who's a stud and who's whatever. But you want to make sure that you get the later guys right. And he, he historically kind of dominated the later rounds. He really did a very thorough job with these fourth round picks, fifth round picks, those kinds of guys. And I remember last year, seeing these visits and seeing that they were first round guys and it's like we never see this you know I'd always go over to like Walter football and see who the Packers are meeting and first of all there would only be about four guys other teams have like 50 names because the Packers first of all don't do much and second of all pulled their cards extremely close to the vest so there's no no rumors ever and all of a sudden Gutekunst is meeting with you know early round prospects because he wants to make sure we get this right which makes sense even though it might be a little bit easier maybe to scout and, and harder to miss as we learned from Ted Thompson no offense Uncle Ted you can miss on first round guys and considering the quality of talent considering the potential impact that a first round guy has compared to a sixth round guy it's kind of important we absolutely nail the first round especially when we have first of all, two first-round picks, and second of all, we've had now for the last two years two high-round or at least mid-round picks. So it's kind of cool. You got A.J. Brown, who's kind of in that day-one, day-two territory. You got Jay Sternberger, who could potentially be a second-round pick. You got Montez Sweat, who's almost assuredly a first-round pick. I mean, if we're going to get Montez, it's going to be at 12. He's not making it to 30, I wouldn't think. I mean, I've seen him mocked as high as, like, the Lions, possibly even higher. I, I don't know. It just, I mean, it really just depends on, you know, obviously the, the athleticism is off the charts. There's, there's no telling how early he could go. But again, what does that tell us definitively? Montez Sweat isn't off the board. So they're at least considering him at 12, which is something else to, th- to think about. It, it's not necessarily off the board like we hate you, we would never draft you. It's just a matter of we know he's not going to make it at 30. Do we think he's valuable at 12? Well, clearly they, at least at the time of the interview, felt that he was and maybe wanted to gauge how interested So I've kind of talked about Montez Sweat a little bit. We went over that through the pro football focus thing. On my new little board thing that I created, he is the third highest. Just kind of running through some of the stuff that I put on that board. I know I said I wasn't going to do any more, but since we're talking about Montez, he was fifth in the nation in terms of of, uh, strength of schedule, which is to say the fifth hardest. So when you look at his stats, that's no joke. Mississippi State played some tough competition. Um, again, his I mentioned this before, but his pass rush percentage was 18%. Now, again, in the NFL, and all these guys are going to drop because college is very different than the NFL, but in the NFL, 10% is, is decent. Like, that's that's you're, you can at least start. 
I mean, it, I shouldn't say that. it's it's good. Get up into the twelve ish, thirteen ish. That's that's very very good. Fifteen is just out of this world. Upwards to twenty is crazy good, and then twenty above is you are just dynamite. Like again, in the NFL, it's like Aaron Donald is the only one that touches that. Maybe some others here and there, but even last year, Aaron Donald didn't get there. So 18% of the time, he's either getting a sack, a pressure, or a hurry. That's that's incredible. He was the highest, and I, I didn't know this. Of the top 10, he was the highest, and it wasn't even close in run-stop percentage. And again, run-stop, not, not runs, not tackles or any of that stuff. Run-stop, we're talking about the metric of having an impact with the tackle. That's a tackle behind the line of scrimmage. It's on first down, a tackle within the first three or four yards. Uh, it's preventing a first down on third and fourth down. And it's, I don't know, 30% of the way to first down on second down or something to that effect. But 20.6%, that's nuts. One in five times when somebody runs the ball, he makes a stop. That's silly. The next highest on this list is 14.9 by Josh Allen. Then finally, his his PFF grades, uh, his pass rush grade is actually somewhat lower. It was actually, as I'm looking at this, the lowest of anybody in the top 10. Now, everybody has good grades. I'm not, I'm not saying he was trash, but it's just you've, you've got one, two, three, four, five. You have five of the 10 are elite. You've got another two of these 10 that are 8.9s. Oh, I'm sorry. There's only nine. I'm so dumb. I got to add somebody to this list. <laughs> I was so confused. I'm trying to count to 10 and I can't get there because I only got nine guys. I use that. I hate, this is the one thing I hate about Excel. I use the little 10 on the side, but I forgot I have a, a column at the top so that's number one so there's only nine guys whatever but he did have of of the nine he had the lowest uh pass rush grade oh good i can add somebody else and they can be uh, lower than brian burns that'd be great i they better be lower than brian burns i hate that he's last i'm gonna have to go out to 15 on this just to make sure brian burns isn't last on my list um but then finally his run stop grade he was i believe fourth out of nine i'm, I'm just i don't have an actual ranking on these so i'm just trying to look at all the other others here but run stop stop grade fourth and that, that's kind of another added bonus we, we talk about his freakish athleticism we talk about his potential as a pass rusher i don't think we can really understate how how good he's going to be in terms of um stopping the run in other words a well-rounded guy similar to preston and zadarius right brian burns again the biggest problem with him his ability to stop the run i think you could potentially say that about josh allen too i know the the uh he, he was graded out i guess kind of decent not the worst ever, but not great. But just just watching him, I mean, you can just see a difference between the, the, the Montez Sweats, the Nick Bosa, who's just, man, oh, man. I got a newfound appreciation for Nick Bosa when I started watching everybody else and then watch Nick Bosa. It's, it, every single snap, he's just beating the guy every single time. It's not a matter of if, see, that's the thing. That's what separates Nick Bosa. If you watch Josh Allen, Montez Sweat, every single one of these guys, sometimes they just get stuck and there's nothing they can do. Nick Bosa will never, ever, on one snap did I ever see him get stuck. I saw him get delayed, never got stuck. And by stuck, I just mean like he, he's just he's just held up, and the tackle just got him, and there's nothing. He's trying to get away. He's trying to go this way, trying to go that way. He just not. Nick Bosa is just going to keep going, and it's just a matter of time. He's going to get there. Whether it's two seconds, three seconds, four seconds, five seconds, whatever it's going to be, he's just constantly moving toward the quarterback. It's kind of kind of that Khalil Mack kind of thing. He's just going to get there. It's just a matter of time. Nick Bosa's a freak, man. He technically didn't have the highest pass rush grade, and I've been hearing this consistently. I just, I don't understand it. Maybe it's just because of his, his overall speed. I mean, as far as like a guy that fires off the edge really quick and can get there just 
like that. Brian Burns has got him beat. Josh Allen's probably got him beat. Montez Sweat, maybe. I'm not sure about the bend. But just overall power and tenacity. Nick Bosa is just unbelievable. So maybe that's part of what the grade is. I'm not really sure, but that's that's crazy. Anyways, Montez Sweat, pretty well-rounded in that regard. Um, his ability to stop the run is, is going to be a plus as well. And the one category I didn't add, which maybe I'll try it and just see what happens because... I mean, it's for the Packers. So if you're playing for the Packers, the coverage kind of has to come into play. So maybe I will put that in there. I'll, I'll probably put it in and just make it a, a lesser category, similar to strength of schedule, because let's face it, it's not as important as rushing the passer. It's probably not even as important as stopping the run, because you're just not going to be doing it nearly as much. But being able to do it would be nice. But uh, his coverage was 69.1, which is almost in the good category, but it's kind of just in the, you know, meh, okay category. So it's it's definitely not a a big thing for him. I think Josh Allen is one of the only ones. And that's the thing. You look at Josh Allen, Josh Allen is the only guy that I would say is good in coverage. The fact that there's like six, seven-ish guys that are pass rushers that are first-round guys and almost none of them can cover it all kind of tells you how important that is or, or not important it is. I got to check Brian Burns. Hopefully he's good because that'll bump him up a little bit. <laughs> oh, 53.6. Oh, it's going to hurt him even worse. He's getting worse every year in coverage. He got better in, in pass rush by a lot. He got better in run defense by a lot. His coverage went 69, 63, 53. Come on, Burns. I'm trying to help you, man. You're killing me here. I just don't know what to do. How do I make you good? Oh, maybe I can add in a relative athletic score or spark score or something. That's Maybe I'll do that. Let me check that real quick. Come on, seven. Oh, yeah, 9.91, son. Above Montez Sweat. Oh, that's that's the money one right there. That's that's the money one. That's how you do it. All right, relative athletic score getting added to the list as well as, unfortunately, coverage, which is probably going to negate this, but whatever. We're adding those two things, and we'll see what happens. Anyways, moving on. So that's Montez Sweat. Let's take a look at A.J. Brown now. Again, another guy we're going to go with A.J. because we kind of talked about him, but I want to just... Kind of touch on it again because we met with them. We've talked a little bit about the big slot thing, the potential that they're interested in the big slot guys. We know that Gutekunst was there to watch Nikhil Harry. They're doing a private meeting with A.J. Brown. Again, everything I've said has pointed very closely to the fact that I think big slot is one of the biggest things that they're looking at and wanting to get right. Right? Again, my when I was looking at how to defeat the LaFleur system, and then how to counter what defenses do to beat LaFleur's system, I think a slot receiver is one of the biggest things. It's also one of the biggest deficiencies we have. Not necessarily wide receiver overall, although I do think we never have a, need a number two, but if you specifically ask the question about slot receiver and break it down that way, that's a big need because we just don't have it. And you can throw people in there. Geronimo can do it. Uh, Equinemius can do it. I think Equinemius could actually be a pretty good slot receiver, a big slot. But I don't know that that's exactly the direction the Packers want to go. I think they just want to get a guy that's going to be a slot receiver. Then again, you look at what what, uh, Gutekunst has said. He wants to get bigger guys. You look at, so that was the theory, and then it's like, all right, is there any evidence that they've been doing that? Yes, Gutekunst went in person to watch Nikhil Harry. I know, there was the owners meeting there, but I already talked about that. There was only five GMs, and Gutekunst was one of them. That means something. Only three visits so far, one of them. A.J. Brown. There's three wide receivers at that school. There's there's several prospects at that school. Which one are they meeting with? The big slot. Again, it just it just feels right. This is going to be a selection. I do think at pick 30 or pick 44, there's going to be one of those two picks is going to be that big slot prospect. 
That's, that is my belief. I also have a strong belief without nearly the amount of evidence to back it up, but I have a very strong belief that they like Devin White a lot. I don't know that they're going to be in a position to take him. I don't know if they like him enough to take him at 12. I think if we can trade back at 12, again, I've, I've already talked about this, but whatever. But I, you know, just just go study up on him, man. I just think one of these guys, depending on how the board falls, I just, I don't know. I think they want it bad. But uh, just to recap here, again, he's a big guy. His, his most known attribute is his yards after the catch. Now, when I say he's big, we're talking he's only six feet tall, but he's 226. If you saw that picture that went around about, uh, you know, DK Metcalf, also an Ole Miss wide receiver, just jacked out of his mind. A.J. Brown was the guy next to him, also jacked, but just to a, you know, smaller degree. But he is he's he's a monster. So he's a big guy. I like A.J. As I said, I watched some of these slot guys and A.J. Brown, Nikhil Harry, some of these guys really stood out as not being overly flashy, not seeing a whole lot of speed or anything kind of like that, but just consistent. I think he's he's one of those guys that can get, you know, a, a lot of catches that can kind of move the sticks, but also kind of something that Randall Cobb used to do was, was decent after the catch, kind of getting those extra two, three yards here and there. Something Randall Cobb started doing toward the end, which, you know, maybe contributed to his injuries. I don't know. He started getting physical. He was really popping guys and, and trying to fight for extra yardage. I think that's a big part of being a slot guy is just, you know, get to the right spot, especially if guys are trying to play zone. Just sit down in the right spot. Be in sync. you got to be a really intelligent guy, which is maybe part of the reason they want to meet with him, make sure he understands things, maybe throw some concepts at him, see what he can come back with, because you have to be cerebral when you're playing with Aaron Rodgers because he won't tolerate anything else. And you, If you want this guy to be a high-catch guy, him and Aaron Rodgers need to really be able to develop a chemistry. Because his whole purpose for being there is to be the guy that Aaron Rodgers is willing to throw to seven, eight, nine, ten times in a game. And then if you can get that chemistry going, if he can really kind of understand these concepts, be in the right place at the right time, get the timing down, understand the checks and all these different things, and then just get the ball to him and just let him do what he does, he can be a massive piece of our way. And I think that's the thing is the Packers are looking for a really big piece. And although it doesn't feel big, because big feels like that guy on the outside, like Hollywood Brown, who's going to run 40, you know, it's that 40-yard completion. Yeah, but how many times, think about Deshaun Jackson. There, there's no, there's only one Deshaun Jackson. And, you know, when you look at Hollywood Brown, it's like, well, he's kind of a Deshaun Jackson-esque guy. But how many times did Deshaun Jackson get the ball? Not all that many times. There, there was a period of time where it was like once a game, maybe twice if it was something crazy where he would get that deep bomb, right? I, I remember I had him on my fantasy team, and there was it was like a stretch of three or four games. It was the first play of every game he hit. Um, forgot his name because I'm brain dead already. He hit Deshaun Jackson for that deep 60-yard touchdown right out of the gate, right? That's awesome, and it's flashy, and it really helps your team, and it can get you a score here and there. But I don't know that that's more important than the guy that's in the slot that's just going to get you 10-yard chunks. I mean, just think how valuable Randall Cobb was in his prime, how, how unstoppable he was on those little slant routes. It was incredible how Aaron Rodgers would just drop back, throw the ball, Randall Cobb catches it, gets an extra two yards, and it's a first down. Like, if that's 10 yards, how does anybody stop this team? How does anybody stop anybody? If that's all it takes to get a first down to get 10 yards is for him to, to kind of take a step forward, slant to the inside, catch a pass, you know, kind of high and away, keep on running, and it's an automatic first down. It doesn't look like he gained any yardage. It was just it was just quick. It just happened. And that's all it took. So 
pretty important stuff. 84 receptions out of out of 115 targets, 73% catch percentage, 1,307 yards. The year before, 1,253 yards. So we're talking over 2,500 yards on uh, in two years, uh, getting that many targets in a college football uh, season, which is shorter than an NFL season, on a team with two other really good wide receivers, one being DK Metcalf, the other one being Demarcus Lodge. And with a quarterback that isn't all that great, with a an offense that has been getting just decimated based on scouts and, and people watching it saying, man, you guys, this limited route tree, and it's just kind of boring and easy to, to know what's going on. To be able to generate that many targets, that many receptions, that many yards, um, 600 yards after the catch, the year before, 650 yards after the catch. I mean, we're talking almost 50% of his, his yardage came after the catch. So, you know, catch a five-yard pass, go get five yards. That's basically what he was doing. Actually, it was more like catch a seven-yard pass and get seven yards after the catch if you're being specific with the amount of receptions he had, which is awesome. How beneficial is it to have a guy that you typically throw, the average depth of target is about seven yards, or not depth of target, depth of reception, and on average, he's getting about seven yards after the catch. Not bad. 7.1 to be specific. 15.6 yards per, per, per completion, so I guess technically it's eight and seven, whatever. Six touchdowns, four drops. He had a 80 overall receiving grade, an 80 overall grade, a 73 run block grade, which is another benefit. Again, you get a big guy, a big strong guy, you use him in the blocking uh, game. It just, it all adds up, man. I mean, if you're running outside zone, you run and you got A.J. Brown in there as a blocker. I know Equinemius actually did a really good job as a run blocker. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of weird to think about, but this is becoming kind of a big and physical team. On offense and on defense, Adrian Amos is going to bring a little bit of physicality. Billy Turner's kind of a big dude. Preston and Zadarius, big, mean dudes. A.J. Brown and or Nikhil Harry, big, mean guy. Mercedes Lewis, big, mean guy, right? This is the kind of team, if, if we're running the ball, all of a sudden it's like we, we just, I don't know what happened to the Packers. I don't know what happened to this team that was called soft and finesse, but this is this started to feel a little bit different to me. These are These are brawlers and maulers, man. Obviously, we didn't make the pick yet, but I'm just saying, kind of getting that feeling. Again, if I'm right about Devin White, what does that mean? Think about big. Think about physical. You know, fast also. They're, they're not getting away from fast, which is which is kind of the thing. You know, when I say I'm kind of getting tired of all the spark score stuff, if you think about it, if you're trying to get big, but you don't want to lose anything in terms of speed, there's really nowhere to go other than relative athletic score because you can't be big and athletic and not have a high relative athletic score. I think the biggest problem is if you're big and you're athletic and that seems to translate into you being a good football player, you're a first-round draft pick, first and second round. After that, it doesn't happen. So if you're looking for big and athletic, there's some kind of a problem. It's injuries, it's drops, it's some kind of stuff that's, you know, you, you shouldn't be drafted later than the second round if you're big and athletic and a good football player. But A.J. Brown could be a first-round draft pick, so we could be big, physical, athletic. You got Devin Bush, big, physical, athletic, good football player. Hopefully we can add a little bit of that. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. 
So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, finally, a guy that we haven't talked about yet, Mr. Jace Sternberger. And actually, it's it's somewhat interesting. If we think about it, let's say the Packers aren't super interested in, in TJ Hawkinson at 12, which means they're not going to get him because he's not going to be there at 30. And let's say at 30, we, we've got other priorities above Noah Fant being there. In other words, we're probably not getting the top two guys. It would make sense that we're going to start looking at that sort of second tier. And again, maybe this is just diligence in case we miss out. Entirely possible. But maybe they really want to hit on that second tier of guys. The Irv Smiths, the Jay Sternbergers, the Caden Smiths, the Josh Oliver, Dawson Knox, Caleb Wilson, these kind of guys. Or maybe they just view Jay Sternberger as, you know, a, a their second or third highest graded guy, and they just want to make sure that he's a good pick. He could be a pick 30. But it just kind of makes you wonder if maybe Hawkinson and Fan, not that they wouldn't take him, it just doesn't seem to fit. They don't want to take him at 12. They don't think they're going to be there at 30. But we really want to get a tight end. What are we going to do? Well, you really got a hammer on it. And as I said, Jay Sternberger is the one guy that they're they're arranging their second meeting with. They met with him at the Combine. Now they're arranging a top 30 meeting with him, a private workout, which I believe is their only private workout scheduled thus far. So anyways, as far as Jace is concerned, six foot four, two 251 pounds, and he is, if I had to compare him to compare him to one of the two guys that we're all aware of so far, he's definitely more of a Noah Fant type. 85 overall grade, a 91.1 receiving grade, elite. As a tight end, that's awesome. Pass blocking grade, 65.5. Run blocking grade, 56.8. Another way to put this, he's a Jimmy Graham type prospect. He's a receiving tight end, that's what he is. Now, his relative athletic score is pretty low. He ran a 4.7540, which is almost exactly average for a tight end. In fact, 6'4", 251 is almost exactly average for a tight end. His arm length and hand size is almost exactly average for a tight end. 17 bench press reps, almost exactly average for a tight end. 1.67 10-yard split is exactly average for a tight end. 31.5 vert, just barely under average, so almost average for a tight end. His broad jump was pretty average, slightly below. Three cone, uh, 7.19, pretty average, slightly below. Short shuttle, again, almost exactly average, slightly slower. And he did the 60-yard shuttle in almost exactly... I mean, he, he is the... If you wanted to know exactly what the prototypical tight end looks like, it's Jay Sternberger. Not in terms of his play, in terms of his build, in terms of his, his athleticism. He is the most average build and athlete I have ever seen in my life. There is not one thing that super deviates. It's a little bit lower, a little bit higher, but just this guy, if you want to know what a tight end looks like, it's Jay Sternberger. But again, very, very, very good receiver. Could be a, a very big weapon for Lafleur's offense. Again, if you're looking for the, the two things I mentioned, a big slot and a receiving tight end, 
to try to carve up the middle of the defense. If, if guys want to play zone against uh, LaFleur because they feel like that's the best way to beat him, the best way to counter that, tight ends and slot receivers. Jay Sternberger being a slot guy, not super speedy, but a great receiver. He ranked number one in the entire nation for deep pass receptions, which is a reception of 20 or more yards. Number one in the nation. Number three in the, in the nation in terms of deep pass yards, total yardage on deep passes for 190 90 yards. 190 is the, the number. His yards per route run is 2.01, which ranked eighth in the nation. His drop rate was only 5.8%. He ranked 20th in the nation. He was 25th in slot receptions, 35th in slot yards. So he plays out of the slot and wasn't horrible there either. In terms of his overall stats, 49 receptions on 81 targets. That's a 60.5% catch percentage. He had 836 yards, 405 after the catch, which again is about 50% of his yards coming after the catch. That's an average of 17 yards per completion, which is a lot for a tight end. A lot, a lot. 10 touchdowns, 3 drops. So Jay Sternberger is going to be officially, after work today, when I go to my television treadmill, I will be watching a lot of Jay Sternberger because he sounds awesome. I know I've seen him, but seen him doesn't mean anything. It just means that like three months ago when I was going through everybody that was tight end, defend everybody in every position, I watched like one video and it was kind of like, okay, cool. And next, I want to really watch, watch this guy. Because it sounds like he could be one of the best tight end receivers in the class. I mean, again, PFF had him as a 91.1 overall receiving grade. Noah Fant, by the way, had an 80.6. Irv Smith was like an 88 something. Hawkinson, 90.8, which is good, but not quite Jay Sternberger good. Now, I'm just scrolling through here. Alizé Mack was terrible receiving grade. Uh, Foster Moreau was relatively high, but not quite there. 73, 79, 61. Trying to find anybody. 60, 76, 88. Again, that's Irv Smith. Jay Sternberger, 91.1. What up, buddy? 69, 86. Pretty good, but not great. 90.3. There you go. Caleb Wilson, well done, sir. Nobody else was quite as high, though. So according to PFF, the best receiving tight end in the entire nation, at least unless somebody was, uh, I didn't look at all of them, but I went to the end of the list from Noah Fant on. And uh, yeah, highest receiving grade of any tight end in the nation. So that's what you're getting with Jay Sternberger. You're not getting any kind of blocking out of him whatsoever. But at least for this year, hopefully we get Mercedes Lewis able to do a little bit of something. Yeah, I officially scrolled through everyone. I think there was three guys in the 90s and Sternberger was the highest at 91-something. So, yeah, um, if we can get Mercedes Lewis to block a little bit better, I mean, we've got, and and again, if we get Jay Sternberger and we're keeping Jimmy Graham, I mean, Jimmy Graham maybe doesn't quite have it anymore, but if you want to learn how to play the Jimmy Graham role, which is specifically, like, if, if you wanted to prototype that kind of tight end and say who in the modern day NFL really embodies the receiving tight end that really isn't much of a blocker at all. Jimmy Graham is that guy. He is he is one of the greatest to ever do it. And he's on this team, so that would be pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. Heck, let's just double down, man. Let's get a receiving tight end, then maybe later get a blocking tight end. Let's see if I scroll through here if I see a really good blocker. Sweeney, nah. Wesco's a decent run blocker. Caleb Wilson's a good pass blocker. Irv Smith, kind of well-rounded, but not great. Caden Smith's pretty good. Ooh, there you go. Drew Sample. 82.3 run blocker. I like that. Dax Raymond isn't bad. Isaac Nauta is not horrible. <laughs> Noah Fant. 
He's a good pass blocker. C.J. Conrad is pretty decent in both categories. Keenan Brown's pretty decent. So yeah, you get a later round guy that's more of a blocker, and you get him learning from Mercedes Lewis, and we get our own little little Jimmy Graham, Mercedes Lewis thing going on. Not that whoever we would get in the fifth round would ever become Mercedes Lewis, but it'd be kind of cool if you get a guy that's supposed to be your blocking tight end to learn from Mercedes Lewis, you know what I'm saying? So anyways, that'd be kind of cool. But uh, that's your that's your homework for the day, folks. That and leaving that five-star review so I can start uh, doing some research and figure out how to get a call-in number as well as streaming to multiple platforms. It'd be cool to get up on uh, Facebook and YouTube at the very least. And uh, also, if we get there, I'll see about maybe getting a couple special guests would be kind of nice, but we'll see. But we got to get there. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm not even going to try until we get to 150. So anyways, enjoy your Monday. I got to fly. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a great one. Bye-bye.